Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Alrighty, well, it's the beginning of a brand new week, and we are glad that you are joining with us today. Today on the program, we have our, our regular hosts. We have Russ Herman at Cloverdale. Um, United Reformed Church, and we have uh, Phil Moran at Christ Presbyterian Church, but then we have a new guest with us today, Ben Blakey at Compass Bible Church. Did I say your name right? You did, Ben Blakey, yeah. Okay, good. And you're, you're a brand new, tell us just quickly about yourself. Yeah, we, I, we're part of a church plant called Compass Bible Church. We just launched last month, so we're just seven weeks into it, but we're excited to be a part of what God is doing here in the Treasure Valley, and if anybody wants to see more, they can go to compassbible.tv. Well, thank you for being on the show today. In fact, he's on the show today because uh, our regular pastor brother, Jonathan Van Hoogen, recently got diagnosed with colon cancer, and he's actually undergoing some um, treatment today. We would just ask our listeners, please pray for him. Um, the prognosis looks like he's going to get about six weeks of treatment and then six weeks of recovery and then surgery. So please keep him in your prayer. We'd really appreciate that. Well, we have received questions from um, the tens and tens of listeners that we have on the on the broadcast or the podcast, <laughs> and uh, we're going to go over some of those questions today and uh, over the next few days. And we've kind of, you know, categorized them in topics. And so the topics for the next several days will be on the sovereignty of God. So, brothers, are you ready with this very easy and delightful topic? <laughs> I was actually, when I woke up this morning, I was hoping for something a little bit more challenging, but this will be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so here is the first question, um, and I'm just going to read it exactly how it is, and you guys can take it in however, what way you want to. Understanding election, um, is it wise to assume the listener is elect when evangelizing? Should we assume they are non-elect? Should we assume anything? Does it matter? Well, let me jump right in. Uh, yes, it matters, and we should assume nothing because salvation belongs to the Lord. Mm. Uh, the Bible says that in at least three places, maybe more. Uh, and when we when we talk about the Reformed doctrine, uh, the biblical doctrine of election, what we're saying is salvation is in God's hands, not in ours. And so we assume nothing uh, about a person. What we assume is the power of we we assume the mercy of God the love of God and the power of the gospel. And uh, we can convey it to every human being with all the passion and the love that, that God supplies um, and assume nothing other than that. I wonder if the book of Romans helps us understand at least a, a part of this question. And if we go how the book is structured Paul very much in the opening chapters wants to set the stage that all people are in sin, um, whether that's Jews, whether that's Gentiles, that all find themselves um, lost, um, without hope, um, without salvation. 
it's only because of the work of Jesus Christ on behalf of his people and that people can be made right with God. This is uh, chapter after chapter dealing with justification. Um, but after he gives us that, how we are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ alone, you enter into this glorious couple chapters in seven and eight where seven looks like it's it's a chapter of discouragement where it's saying, what, but I still sin, I still struggle, I still fall. I Wait, am I saved or am I not saved? If if I understand chapters one, two, and three that all are lost, but in four, didn't I find salvation through justification, through the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf? Then why do I still have all the issues that I'm having in my life? Why is there still sin? Mm-hmm. And what chapter eight then says is, yes, there's sin, but there's no condemnation. You right. are eternally safe in Jesus Christ. Well, then you think, well, that would be a good place to end the book. But then instead, Paul goes into chapters 9, 10, and 11, where he begins to explore, well, let's take another view of this and look behind the scenes and say, well, how did this salvation come about? Mm-hmm. And this salvation came about because of God's electing love outside of time and space. And that's why you're secure, because your salvation is of God. But what I find fascinating in that is right in the heart of that argument of teaching the biblical truth of election is Romans 10, which is one of the strongest um, portions of Scripture that deal with the need for evangelism. Mm -hmm. And he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You're like, well, that's a weird verse in the middle of a a whole section on election, Mm -hmm. calling on the name of the Lord. And it says, but how are they to call on him in whom they have believed? And how are they to believe in him uh, of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Right in the heart of the this doctrine of election is this call to be about preaching the word of God, of being about sharing the good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um and to me, that what that says is, it does matter who's elect, but it doesn't matter if we know who they are. It just matters that God does. Our job is to be proclaimers of the gospel. Yeah, amen. And it certainly seems that the Apostle Paul, he's not, you know, when he's dealing with individual people, assuming one way or the other, but in assuming, I don't know if that's the most biblical category but paul had faith and paul certainly believed in the truth that uh, of election that god saves sinners through his choice and we see that motivating him to evangelism i think of second timothy 2 10 where paul says therefore i endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in christ jesus with eternal glory. So he's not assuming something about the individual that he's talking to, but he is believing that God has chosen people for salvation and that motivates him to evangelize and do missions and plant churches. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's a myth and there, there's, there's a myth out there and perhaps even some, <laughs> perhaps even some uh, who believe the biblical doctrine of election can fall for this, that, the doctrine of election somehow is a demotivator for evangelism, that it's somehow, uh, no, it, it liberates us for evangelism because it says it's not about us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so it's not on me in, when, when sharing the gospel. 
it's it's not up to me to persuade, coerce, um, somehow cajole <laughs> somebody into receiving Christ as their Savior. No, my my responsibility given to me by the Lord is to present the gospel with all the love and passion that God su- supplies and, and trust the outcome to him yeah. because it's in his hands. You know, um, I think from the very beginning, I think we still often have this this wrong foundation when it comes to evangelism. Why do we ultimately evangelize? I'm, I'm, I want to make a distinction between what we would call ultimate ends and penultimate ends. This is what Lloyd-Jones said. Lloyd-Jones says the supreme object of this work, i.e. preaching the gospel, is to glorify God. The first object of preaching the gospel is not to save souls. Nothing, however good in itself or however noble, must be allowed to usurp that first place. We, we do everything that we do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, for all for the glory of God. So I'm not uh, at all you know, downplaying the importance of saving souls. That's, that is a reason why we preach the gospel. But it's not the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason in, in everything that God does is to glorify himself. I, in fact, mm-hmm. I, I, I take issue a little bit with, with a quote that people often say, attributed to Charles Spurgeon, I'm sure it is, where he says, we preach the gospel to everybody because we don't know who the elect are. I, th- I think that's fine in as far as it goes, but I think the better statement is to say we preach the gospel to everybody because it glorifies God. Yeah. I mean, this is Jesus Christ we're talking about, the name that's above every name, above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and his name is worthy to be proclaimed. Mm-hmm. And even that correct connects directly with the Great Commission. Everybody thinks the Great Commission starts with go therefore and make disciples. Well, right before that, Jesus actually starts by saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Mm-hmm. So even the Great Commission begins with Jesus proclaiming his own glory and authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God uses means. And so if you go back into the Old Testament and look at the uh, imagery of the Valley of Dry Bones and, and Ezekiel comes to this valley and the Lord tells him to and asks the question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's response is, Lord, you know. And then he's commanded to preach. Mm-hmm. Right. So life comes from the word of God that um, out of dry bones, which is really a picture of all humanity. Mm-hmm. Outside of Jesus Christ, we're, we're dry bones. We're just, we're dead. Yeah. And the word of, of God comes alive or helps us come alive through the work of the spirit um, within. And the great privilege is that we have the opportunity to be a part of God's work of redemption in the hearts and lives of people. Um, and so you look at it and you say, Election makes me not want to participate? Really? That God chooses a weak instrument like us to be able to share the gospel with other people and through that gospel message comes alongside of it with the spirit and makes people that were dead alive and you don't want to have anything to do with that? Uh-huh. I, I'm sorry, I'm missing something. Yeah. You know you know who you're making me think of when, when you talk about God using means and uh, Ezekiel and the dry bones, it also reminds me of Jonah. Who doesn't want to go to? I was just glad that you didn't say it, it reminded me of a song. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does, but I'm going to spare you. Um, <clears throat> think of Jonah, who doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and he so resists going to Nineveh that he gets on a boat for Tarshish. Uh, the sailors on the boat with him end up getting saved in spite of him, not because of him, but in spite of him. They end up worshiping the Lord and making vows to the Lord. And then Jonah is swallowed by the great fish. And the very center of the book of Jonah, 
Uh, and Jonah, I don't want to get too complex here, but Jonah is, the, the book is a chiastic structure. It, the main point is in the middle, uh, not at the end. In, in Western thought, we always put the main point at the end. In Eastern thought, the main point is in the middle. And the main point of the book of Jonah is right smack in the center. When Jonah is in the belly of the fish, where you know he, he's been resisting the call of God to go to Nineveh, he ends up in the, God ordains that he gets swallowed by this great fish. And it's in the belly of the fish, he prays this prayer, and he finally, at the end of his prayer, says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Bingo. That's it. The fish vomits him up. He goes to Nineveh. They get saved because God wanted to have mercy on them. And, but the very heart of that book, salvation belongs to the Lord. But God used the means of Jonah to proclaim the gospel to Nineveh. Yeah. And the irony of all of it is, Jonah knew that before he fled. Yes. And that's why he didn't want that's to go. That's why he didn't want to go. He right. knew, he knew he, salvation belonged to the Lord, yeah. and he knew that he was the instrument that was going to bring salvation yeah. to a people he yeah. didn't want to have salvation that's, brought to. That's right. He didn't want God to have mercy on Nineveh. Yeah. But he understood who, how, that God was a God that saved sinners. Yeah. And that God is a God that saves sinners through the word of God. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't want and to. He didn't want, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, you know, um, somebody mentioned just a few minutes ago about how isn't election or God's sovereignty a demotivator from evangelism. Actually, this is the very thing that that God used with Paul in the book of Acts uh, when Paul was arrested in, in the city of Corinth and uh, the Lord came to him one night in a vision. This is Acts 18, 9. And, and the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for... I have many in this city who are my people. Not not people who have already been converted, mm-hmm. but people who have already been chosen by me and your your evangelism will be successful. What a motivator to know that our message will actually be effective when we preach the gospel. Yep. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We're glad that you could um, be on the listen to us today on the on the broadcast. Please tune in tomorrow. We'll continue this theme with uh, God's sovereignty and election. 